Welcome back to Speak Easy, the cybersecurity podcast by ESET. I'm your host, Tony Anskin, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Keir Humble, a sales engineer from ESET's Canadian office. Hi, Keir. Now, maybe we could start with, as this is your first appearance on Speak Easy, a bit of a, an introduction because you have a fascinating background that actually we could do an entire podcast series on. But uh, maybe you could summarize it for us and uh, introduce yourself. Thanks, Tony. Uh, I really appreciate the invitation to speak with you today. It's great to be here. As um, a recent addition to the growing ESET family, I'm really excited to join our great team here in Canada, where I reside, but also to be a part of the larger ESET global community. I mean, collectively, we all bring an incredible amount of expertise and experience together in one place, and it's really, truly a great thing. Um, I myself, I've worked as a sales engineer for over 15 years at a variety of endpoint security vendors, with one small exception where I took a detour for an 18-month contract as a civilian cybercrime investigator with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. That's the Canadian Federal Police Force up here, akin to the FBI for our American uh, partners. Uh, during my time at the RCMP, I was focused almost solely on ransomware investigations, which is very timely, of course. Uh, we're seeing a huge uptick with ransomware globally. And, you know, I was quite fortunate to be able to work with a number of international law enforcement partner agencies like the FBI, Europol, Scotland Yard and others. And although I can't really go into details about our case because some of these matters are still before the courts, the coordinated actions taken by our international law enforcement partners were able to seize and disrupt the overseas infrastructure used by the NetWalker uh, ransomware group to conduct their activities with their distributed network of affiliate hackers. And as a result, uh, the partner agencies were able to recover a significant amount of stolen cryptocurrency as a result. And we're talking tens of millions of dollars here. Um, so it's been quite exciting for me to uh, to be able to partake in that. And my contract has come up uh, for end, and uh, I decided to come back into the uh, information technology fold again. And and here I am at ESET, and I'm really happy to be here. Well, and it's great. It's great that you've joined. And as you said, it's a great family of people with a lot of experts throughout the company. But this week, I would like to talk with you about an announcement Microsoft made last week. All users, whether you're a consumer, whether you're a business, or even if you're a Microsoft employee, they're saying, go into your account details and delete the password. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that security has been removed, that they've given up. You know, what it means is they're using a different method, and primarily that's Microsoft's Authenticator app or other options for login. So this is a huge change here. Now, Maybe it would be good for you to walk us through how you see that they've implemented this and how that te how the actual technology behind it works. That's a great point. I mean, it's going to change the way that users authenticate, and for the better. Um, it's been demonstrated time and time again that passwords are a weak link that can be easily exploited, whether it's somebody shoulder surfing over your back while you're entering your password, whether it's a social engineering attack or a phishing email. Attackers are looking to get users to reveal their passwords so they can more easily infiltrate networks, systems, and applications. And once that password has been compromised, what's stopping it from being misused? You know, there's really no validation that validates that the person behind the keyboard entering that password is indeed authorized to use that password. And so, you know, by leveraging newer technologies available today, such as two-factor authentication or 2FA, we can add an additional layer of validation by using a combination 
of something you know, a password. That's what Microsoft's trying to get rid of. Something you are, a biometric, or something you have, a security token or a phone, for example. Many password compromise attempts can be thwarted. So what Microsoft is proposing is to move away from using passwords in this mix and to rely on those other available security factors, the something you are, the something you have. And we started to see this in the consumer arena initially with the introduction of Windows Hello when Microsoft released Windows 10. Um, users could choose to use a variety of alternative authentication methods, whether it be a PIN or a fingerprint scan. Um, that's different from a fingerprint, by the way. We should probably come back to that and talk how that differs. Um, you know, if your computer even had access to a newer infrared-capable ca webcam, you could use facial recognition, for example, in conjunction with Windows Hello. So what they're proposing here is, is to take the password out of the mix and to use that additional two-factor authentication to validate the identity of the user. Um, and one of the ways that they're starting to introduce this in, for example, Microsoft 365 is through the use of the Windows uh, Authenticator, which essentially is either an app or a telephone call to your mobile phone where you then authorize the password use, even though you didn't enter a password. It's all digitally uh, done in the back end. And Microsoft is simply just validating now that you are indeed who you say you are and have author authorization to use that password. So, you know, moving forward, what we're going to see is that um, there may be alternative options that are introduced, whether it be physical security keys that can be linked into this, whether it be facial recognition or out-of-band SMS text messages. Um, there's going to be a variety of different ways that users can choose to accomplish this two-factor authentication and eliminate the passwords that are the weak link in the process. Well, um, passwords being the weak link is very, very much, I mean, a subject that we've talked uh, about before on Speakeasy, because if you look at the top 10 most common passwords that are in data breach data, you know, number one is always that one, two, three, four, five, six. You know, number two typically follows with by adding seven, eight, nine onto the end. And then we get QWERTY because it's a line of keys on the keyboard. And then we get the word password and maybe password with a zero. And that's the issue that actually I think Microsoft are trying to get away from, isn't it? Is people, one, find simplistic passwords and or they use repetitive passwords like their, their favorite pet's name or their name of their car or whatever it might be. And they add one or two the year of their birth onto the end and maybe an exclamation mark and, and bang, the password's really simple to guess because it's socially engineerable. And it's that issue that means passwords pretty much are done for because one, one appears in a breach somewhere and, of course, the risk is then you have cyber criminals stepping in and using those passwords in, for example, brute force attacks. Uh, and, in fact... Kira, I don't know whether you saw the last threat report from ESET Research Labs. Uh, the threat report detailed a, a huge increase in RDP attacks. And those I RDP did. attacks were primarily brute force attacks. And this is where you know, an attacker is either taking a list of passwords and trying his luck, or he's ta uh, they're taking uh, a system and trying common passwords against accounts and just trying to crack their way in that way. 
And that's something that's been going on for for a decade now. I mean, from the the first time that somebody um, allowed a RDP port through a firewall, the attackers were scanning for those ports, collecting an inventory of potential victim systems, and then uh, brute forcing passwords at these things. You know, almost a uh, uh, nonstop. Uh, from the moment that you connect a computer to the internet, it takes less than thirty seconds for the first attack to show up against an unprotected computer. And if that computer is a Windows server with remote desktop enabled on it, it presents a, a tremendous high value vector for the attackers to gain entry into a corporate environment. Um, and so, you know, really there's no excuse for allowing uh, a Windows server to be connected to the internet in that manner unprotected without some layer of additional protection, whether that be two-factor authentication, firewalls, intrusion detection, anomaly detection. Um, you know, what I, I've seen in the past is that uh, RDP was always seen as a safe protocol. And eventually, uh, there were some high profile vulnerabilities that were discovered in RDP that allowed for complete bypass of the, of the passwords. So two-factor authentication really could help shut that down if it was used and implemented properly. And when we say two-factor authentication, by the way, for those listening... You also hear this termed multi-factor authentication as well. So these two, they're two common terms meaning pretty much the same thing. Um, and two-factor authentication is something that actually we've all had in our pockets for a long time. Yeah, Maybe 20, 30 years, you've had an ATM card in your pocket, and that ATM card is something you have, and the something you know is the PIN number that unlocks the card when you put it in, the, in that magic machine that tells you you've got no cash. Um, of course, that's if you actually go and draw out cash anymore. Yeah, I <laughs> that's mean, true. I, in this yeah. cashless age today, especially uh, in the current uh, global situation that we're in, who uh, who's passing around bits of plastic money or paper money anymore? Well, exactly, and I can't. Yeah, the card has become such a, an easy way to pay. But and you you mentioned some important other things in there about, for example, facial recognition and mm -hmm. SMS, and some of these. Solutions have different security around them already, don't they? Because, of course, you've got the risk of, for example, SIM swapping or SIM, hi uh, SIM hijacking where uh, the bad cyber criminal guy gets hold of your phone number and actually takes control of your text messages and becomes you in effect on your phone. And this is where I think an app is better than a uh, uh, an SMS message because, of course, an SMS can't always be guaranteed to be on your device if somebody's actually hijacked your phone number. And it's, I think it's also important to understand facial recognition is not used in the way, I think that, that when we talk about facial recognition, I think people think of big databases and their image being stored somewhere and get nervous then about data breaches of their, their picture being leaked in some way or, or misused. And of course it's not. So for example, facial recognition on most mobile devices the, the facial image is actually only held on the mobile device. It's actually never tra never held anywhere else. So it's not like you're being facially recognized. It's just using facial recognition on that device to ensure it was you. But it raises a good point. There is a big difference here, isn't there, between a biometric method of authenticating somebody, such as facial recognition or, or fingerprint scanner or such like, or an SMS uh, where actually you d it could be in the wrong hands of somebody. It one, could get intercepted, absolutely. That yeah, one is authentication, and one is is authentication of identity and authentication. Uh, 
And it's interesting that Microsoft included SMS in their uh, announcement about moving or uh, moving to passwordless. And I do find that quite interesting, actually, Tony, because, you know, um, SMS messages have been shown time and time again to actually be uh, stored in intermediary devices that process them through different networks, different phone networks. So I'm up in Canada, you're down in the United States, you send me a message, there may be a myriad of different systems and, uh, and uh, devices that process that message before it gets delivered. And it's all in clear text. This stuff is not being encrypted. In fact, law enforcement, from a law enforcement perspective, they love being able to subpoena SMS text messages because they're not encrypted. So I think you'd join with me then and turn and say, if you're going to, if you're going to move to the point uh, passwordless environment and delete that password on that Microsoft account, use the app, not the SMS option. Absolutely. It's something you control. You have control over the mobile device. It's in your pocket. You have a control as to how to unlock that device as well. Um, and therefore, you're adding another layer of security on top of the layer of security, defense in depth. Um, you know, something else to consider, too, uh, the, the SIM swapping, as you mentioned, has actually become quite high profile. There's been a lot of um, celebrities, for example, that have fallen victim to SIM swapping so that somebody could gain access to their Twitter account and then post uh, and impersonate that individual because now they have access to their mobile authentication. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why um, SMS and telephony-based authentication poses an issue because the uh, chances of something happening to you are out of your control now, and it's the telco that actually controls access to who can access your phone. And so if they have a failure in their own controls, I call up my telecom provider and say, I've forgotten my PIN to my phone. I need you to reset that, please. They have very weak controls in place, and that's been proven many times over. Um, and as a result, there's been some very high-profile SIM hijacking attempts that have been successful. So I have actually tested this uh, about a year and a half ago. Okay. I, I walked into a my, the carrier, uh, the, who, who's going to rename nameless, uh, be nameless in this instance. I actually walked into one of their stores and managed to get them to reissue my own SIM. Wow. Uh, but, and I didn't have my wallet on me or identification or anything like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I gave the sob story of I've had my phone and my wallet stolen, I'm traveling, and yeah, and I managed to get the guy in the shop to reissue my SIM card to me. And, you know, and that just goes to prove how easy it is for the attackers if they're determined to be able to target a specific, you know, high-value individual, um, a corporate executive, a political person, um, perhaps a, a newscaster, or even their informants. Yeah, and the problem is, is in that scenario, once the attacker has the uh, the device, i.e., the phone number, um, being routed to another handset that they're in control of, they can even walk into a bank, and the bank will use the phone number to validate their ident your identity with them by mm -hmm. sending the SMS codes. So that's why this is such a high value crime as well, because you can walk into a bank and have a temporary ATM card issued. I think we're moving slightly off the subject, though, but it's a super interesting, all part of the same uh, same topic. So just to add to this as well, this announcement from Microsoft comes on the back of an announcement by CISA, the Cyber, uh, Cyber Infrastructure Security uh, Association in the US, which they turn around and said, oh, sorry, agency, not association, agency, they, uh, they made an announcement about two or three weeks back that they believed it was bad practice if you had only passwords. 
So their their take on it was that password, yeah, passwords and two-factor authentication, and Microsoft have taken that one step further. So do we think long-term the password is dead, Keir? I think long-term, yes, we're going to see the end of the of the password by itself as a single factor. You know, there may be times where you still require input from the user, whether it be a PIN, but ultimately what that PIN is going to be unlocking is digital credentials that are stored in a trusted platform module on the computer. That TPM chip that we've been hearing a lot uh, about in the news recently, that's going to be an absolute requirement for Windows 11. And so a lot of computers that are older are gonna to have to be replaced with ones that have TPMs built in to be able to leverage some of these alternative Microsoft authentication schemes that we're talking about. Um, but by, by leveraging the TPM, what's happening now is the user is entering a PIN to unlock access to the TPM. The TPM contains the digital certificates, which replace the passwords. And so ultimately, it secures that authentication mechanism better than just a user typing a password in alone. Um, so I think the password will go away at some point, but it's probably with us for quite some time. And in the meantime, um, until everybody adopts passwordless authentication of this type, we're going to have to uh, make sure that we up our game. We're going to have to make sure that we choose more complex passwords and that we don't reuse passwords. There's something out there called credential stuffing. And for those that aren't familiar with that, it's where uh, attackers have obtained a known password for an individual for a website, maybe uh, the LinkedIn compromise, for example, of years past. And then they'll use that password on multiple social networking sites, hoping that you've reused it somewhere else. And it's a very successful technique for, for compromising you. Um, so obviously, we have to uh, make sure that users are aware of this through cybersecurity awareness training, through um, the behavior modification that uh, encourages users to not reuse passwords, to use stronger ones, and to protect them and not share them like they do with their Netflix account password all the time. <laughs> And of course, there are some countries that are leaps and bounds ahead on some of the identity authentication mm -hmm. uh, and, and maybe that future. So you've got the likes of Estonia who have full digital identity on devices. So not only do they use it for social security and all government services and such like, they also use it for voting and it can be used for numerous other things. And that's actually a full validation of your identity. So when you actually get the SIM card issued to you, in the carrier uh, carrier establishment, they validate your identity as well using government issued documents like driver's license or passport, etc. So the SIM card is not only carrying your number; your the SIM card is is uh, an identity validation as well because it can't be issued without without that physical validation of you. So it's kind of interesting. I yeah, you know, I see this all going in one good direction where. You know, where our digital identity will be far more secure than it is today. And you know, let's be clear, have you ever used a password on two systems, the same password on two systems, Keir? Um, yeah. Oh, no, I don't think I've ever done that. No. You've never added a zero one on the end of a... We've all done it. All cybersecurity people have done it, even though they might say they haven't at some stage. And there are some pass passwords that we might reuse on a, free, on a, on a basis where it's to something completely non-important. Mm -hmm. you know, if somebody sends you that party invite and you have to register to accept it or whatever, you, know, you might create the account with some simple password. You, do you care about somebody knowing you're invited to a party? No, not really. Um, so there are times when when people do. So this is speakeasy as well. Now, 
I, I have two things here. One is, in speakeasy tradition, it's we always talk about our drink of choice. And uh, actually, I'm going to share mine first this time. I, I, my, my tipple at the moment has been uh, Captain Morgan's Spiced Rum. So what is your drink of choice out of curiosity, Kier? That's that's a really good choice uh, on your part there. I mean, rums are always uh, so flavorful, and uh, the, the the robust, uh, uh, rich, uh, caramelized flavors of a good aged rum are, are not lost on me. Uh, but I would say that um, you know, uh, in a nice hot summer day, which we've had a few of them in the last week here in Toronto as the uh, the season comes to an end, uh, I really enjoy a good Moscow Mule. Um, preferably made with uh, Tito's handmade vodka from Austin, Texas, and finished with some really good English ginger beer, the spicy type that oh. burns a little bit. Um, and of course, it needs to be served in a traditional copper cup and garnished with a slice of lime and some candy ginger. And I had the opportunity on the weekend to share a few with some good mates. So uh, that, that's my choice, I think, right now. No, oh, no, mine for summer drinks. I'd have, to, I'd have to veer back to my homeland and go for the Pims number one. Okay. Uh, with, with a splash of gin and the lemonade in there as well. So, uh, which is typically a tennis associated drink around Wimbledon time. But, uh, but that's great. So, one place I think we can uh, probably agree that passwords will remain, and that's at Speakeasies. Because, of course, Speakeasy actually is about uh, prohibition and the bars that were set up that were serving illegal alcohol uh, back in that period of time and you knock the door and you give the guy the password of the day uh, and that gets you entry into the speakeasy and there are still a few speakeasies i'm based here in california there are still a few speakeasy bars uh, around san francisco where if you don't know the password of the day you're just not coming in uh, so passwords i think are not uh, maybe dying digitally i hope that Speakeasy creates a tradition of passwords or keeps that tradition of passwords still. So any last thoughts, any funny, any funny stories about passwords over the spite of your career? I do have a, a rather funny anecdote, and it actually happened to me. So I'm I'm the uh, the boot of this joke. Uh, and what it was was um, I can share with you a time I I was living in um, in Canada. Here we have two official languages, English and French. And although most places in Canada tend to use English, of course in Quebec, um, that province the primary language is French. And I was uh, working in an office in Montreal, and my password to an application had expired. And so I happily changed my password when I was prompted and re-entered it a second time. And I thought nothing more about it. And upon my return to my office back in Toronto a couple of days later, I tried to log into that same application and I, I found that I couldn't get in. And I don't know why. I mean, the password was in my mind. I knew what it was. It may have even, even been one of those reused passwords that we were talking about. <laughs> and uh, after several calls to the help desk to unlock my account, because I kept getting locked out with all the multiple incorrect password attempts, it suddenly became clear to me what was going on. What it was, was the computer I was using in Montreal had a multi-language keyboard setup. It could be switched between English and French. However, when you were in this application and you were changing your password within the application, it didn't look at the uh, operating system's language for the keyboard. It just made an assumption that you were French. And so as I was typing in my password, all of the E's and A's in my password were accented characters. And now when I came back to Ontario and was using an English 
uh, keyboard, when I typed the same password in, the A's and the E's were no longer accented. <laughs> so I felt a little bit silly. I mean, talk about a language barrier. Yes, that, that, that is actually a funny scenario. I think the funniest experience I've had is, is I went actually to visit my wife at work one day. And uh, while standing there waiting for her to finish, we, we were going out after she, she uh, finished her day. And uh, I'm standing next to the notice board in her office that she shares with, shared with two other people and on the notice board were the passwords. Oh, wow. <laughs> they had communal accounts for some Skype accounts and some video. Early, and this is pre-pandemic. So it was super funny because I'm standing there. And I then took a picture of the notice board and they all looked at me and went, what are you, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm taking a copy of your password. I wish they, <laughs> one of them stood up and took it down. And it was like, I wonder if I'm the only person that's done that. No, those physical security audits can be real fun, let me tell you. You know, look checking under the desks and under the drawers and behind the monitor for the password taped onto it. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, well, let's, uh, I, think, I think we can wrap up this week's uh, podcast But because uh, I need to rush off now because I've just realized that actually I need to go and check my investments that I haven't got any investments in Post-it pads because the, the use of Post-it pads is probably going to decline, isn't it? It sounds like it. Absolutely. Delightful to have you as a guest here, and uh, hopefully we're going to get you on in the next few weeks again and uh, talk about something just as interesting. Uh, so stay safe out there. Likewise, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and look forward to speaking with your audience again soon. All right, and that concludes this episode of Speak Easy. Speak Easy.